0: So I wasn't planning on giving a New Year's message, but uh, last week I came across a passage from the prophet Hosea that really spoke to me and I wanted to share it with you. And then while I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, this could be part of our vision for 2020. Our um, PCBC vision. The passage is from Hosea chapter 6, verse 3. And it goes like this, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. So that, that's the vision. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. And of course, over the, uh, the coming year, we'll, we'll flesh that out some more. So, I'm going, I'll give the context of this passage and then I'll I'll talk about how that might apply to us uh, as individuals and as a church. So, Hosea, the man, was a prophet, as we know. Uh, He prophesied uh, mostly to the northern kingdom of Israel and a little bit to the southern kingdom of Judah. And Hosea's job as prophet you know way back in uh, 715 BC was to warn Israel that if they didn't turn from their wicked ways you know the usual rebellion and worshiping other gods they would face severe judgment and that judgment would be in the form of an invasion from Assyria and then exile or or removal from the land and now we have to remember that Israel's relationship with God was tied to the land tied to the covenant uh, God would bring them to this land of milk and honey as it's so often described, uh, which is you know, to represent prosperity there uh, where the people would establish a nation under God's law. And then the, the people would trust the Lord, obey the Lord, and they would be blessed. And through that nation, through the nation of Israel, all other nations would be blessed as well as they, they would be drawn through Israel uh, to the God of the universe. you know, But of course, the nation proved to be rebellious, uh, often uh, referred to as stiff-necked and disobedient. And God often called them adulterers, often called the, the people of Israel adulterers because they kept forsaking their relationship with Him and going after other gods, which brings us to Hosea. One of the unique aspects of Hosea is that in the beginning, the beginning of, of the book, it describes a love story. It's, it's an odd love story, but it's, it's a love story. God literally tells the prophet Hosea to go marry a woman who he knows will end up being an adulteress. I mean, God, God foretells this, and he, and he tells Hosea, go marry her. So Hosea ma- uh, obeys God, he, uh, he marries a woman named Gomer. And she bears Hosea a son, just as God foretold. And then she goes off and commits adultery. And uh, Gomer has two more children. you are most likely not from Hosea. And uh, she leaves Hosea and ends up uh, becoming a slave. So I know it doesn't sound like much of a love story at this point. Uh, but there's more. Hosea goes and he gets Gomer he he actually buys her out of slavery and uh, he brings her back he rescues her and, and he restores her and, and god told him to do that as well but why you know why why does god ask his prophet to intentionally marry a woman who knows that, that god knows is going to commit adultery and why once uh, gomer did commit adultery why did why did god tell Hosea to go get her again, bring her back? Well, the answer is because that's what God did for his people. Now, God made a covenant, you know, similar to a marriage covenant, uh, a binding covenant with, with a people, Israel, and he knew in advance, he knew that those this people were, were going to forsake him. They were going to commit adultery by going after other gods. And the rest of the Old Testament, you know, especially after Joshua and the conquering of the land, it is about God's you know, unrelenting love for this uh, wayward uh, people. And it's about Israel's fickle love uh, for their God. And the story of Hosea and Gomer is used to compare with the story of God and Israel. Uh, if we back up a little bit to Hosea 3.1, it says this, And the Lord said to me, this is Hosea, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods, so even though they commit adultery, and love cakes of raisins. Now this I thought that was rather odd. What, what's the cake of raisins all about? Well, they were, the, these, these sweet cakes were offered to the, uh, the false god Baal in their um, uh, worship as a thanksgiving for the harvests. So the application is pretty clear. Hosea is called to love this adulterous woman in the same way that God loves his wandering, adulterous people. Now, you can only imagine Hosea's surprise when God told him to continue and chase after this adulterous wife. He could have divorced her. He could have walked away. But instead, he obeyed the Lord and he never deserted her. You know, just as God has never deserted His people, never walked away, and God even continues to pursue us. To pursue humanity. So while you know we're not entirely sure about um, Gomer's love for Hosea, it, it seems clear that her heart is not entirely devoted to him. You know, perhaps she does love him, but she she just can't seem to break away from her old habits. Uh, but still, Hosea loves her, and he's devoted to her. So the, this this love story between uh, Gomer. And Hosea is actually a parable of sorts for God's love for His people. Throughout the book of Hosea, we see both the loving kindness of God, uh, which is often referred to as the hesed love of God, but, and the frustration of God with His people as the people just continue to refuse God's repeated attempts at reconciliation and, and they just continue to ignore God's love. Now in light of all this, you know, with that in mind, we're, we're, we'll be coming to our passage from chapter 6. It's a passage in which Hosea uh, describes what could be for Israel. It's like he dreams of what it could be like if Israel were to repent and return to the Lord. Because in chapter 5, just before this, Israel turns not to the Lord, they turn to the Assyrian king of all people for help. But however, in, in chapter 5, it says of that king, but he is not able, that king's not able to heal you or cure your wound. And, and, and for us, you know, um, when we turn to anything but God, when we turn to money or power or fame or, or honor, or, or we think the right job, or the right woman, or, or the right man, the perfect children. You know, none of those things can heal our wounds the way God can. None of those things can make us right with God. You know, only God can make us right with God. So, ironically, God will use the same. Assyrian king to conquer Israel and take them from the land. Uh, verse 14 in chapter 5 describes God's judgment on His people through Assyria as like a lion who will tear and will carry off the remains and bring them into exile. And then in, in, in verse 15 of chapter 5, God says this, it's really sad. God says, I will return again to My place until." They acknowledge their guilt and seek My face. And in their distress, earnestly seek Me. So God says He's leaving the people. He's returning back to where He came from, so to speak, in the sense that they will be conquered and they will be exiled from the land for their disobedience. Which leaves as Israel's only future hope is to seek God's face to seek God's forgiveness and return to Him. Which brings us again back to our passage. But I want to back up a little and begin with verse 1 in chapter 6. Verse 1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down, but He will bind our wounds. So Hosea is saying, look people, God loves you. God will take you back, just like I took Gomer back. You know, sure, we're torn now, uh, and God has struck us down, but only so that He might heal us. That's what Gomer is saying. And and Hosea, I mean, that's what Hosea is saying. And he goes on to suggest in verse 2 what this healing might look like. Verse 2 says, After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Now this, this isn't necessarily a reference to time. You know, the two days, third days. But it's a reference to how God can and will restore a people. It's actually a reference to resurrection, but not, not Jesus' resurrection. In other words, God can take a repentant people out of exile and restore them. Raise them up. It's a complete restoration. Just as... One who is dead has been resurrected and then made alive. And then Hosea goes on to describe how this could happen. It's almost, it's almost as if he's offering a proposal to the people of Israel. Now here's, here's Hosea's proposal. It's, it's, I, I call it his I have a dream speech. Hosea says in, in 6.3, Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And there, there lies the key to any fruitful re- relationship with God. Whether Israel's relationship with God or the church's relationship or an individual's relationship with God. The key is knowing Him. If only Israel took the time, made the effort to know their God. And, and knowing here is an intimate knowing. It's, um, scripture uses the, info, the euphemism to know uh, in referring to sexual relations between a husband and a wife. That's the kind of intimate relationship suggested in this verse. To know God. And if only Israel made that effort to know God, then things would be so much different. So what does this look like? What does this look like in knowing God? Well, let's turn to Moses uh, for an illustration. Because if if anyone ever really knew God, if if a human being ever experienced this uh, amazingly you know, intimate revelation of God. If there was ever a man uh, who truly had a close relationship with God, it was Moses. And you know, Moses didn't always have this kind of relationship with God. If you think about Moses' life, you remember that his first forty years—you know—Moses no, knew a lot about God. You know, he was born to Hebrew parents, uh, but he was raised in the Egyptian palace, as we know, as one of Pharaoh's sons, a prince of Egypt. And so Moses likely knew about God through his heritage because uh, his mom helped raise him. But there's no indication at all of, of a walk uh, with God that was characterized by love or obedience or, or loyalty. In fact, it appears when you read Scripture that Moses was you know, indifferent to God. Maybe even had forgotten about God uh, during this, this time period. But then, you know, something awoke in him. Uh, Moses tried to play God and he killed that Egyptian uh, while defending a fellow Hebrew. And because of that, he, he took off into the desert. He fleed uh, to um, the Sinai Desert. And there he lived as a fugitive for the next 40 years. But during these four decades, these 40 years, Moses was humbled. and He was brought down uh, from his high estate and he was further prepared for what was to come next, which was literally meeting God at the burning bush, which, which uh, marked the beginning of the final 40 years of his life. When, Moses, uh, when God called Moses to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt, Now, During this time, Moses came to know and experience God in in a way uh, that we would want to know and experience Him in His power and His glory. Uh, During all the events of the Exodus, think about all the events of the Exodus. Moses, unlike any other man, experienced firsthand every attribute of God that a a human being could possibly experience. He, He experienced God's omnipotence. You know, that He's all-powerful. He experienced God's omniscience, that He's all-wise and all-knowing. His omnipresence, that He's everywhere at all times. And of course, His divine nature, Moses experienced. His justice, His righteousness, His holiness, and His, uh, his greatness, of course. All um, through those uh, events of the Exodus. So you know, what more could a human being want? than to experience all those things. But for Moses, that wasn't enough. Moses didn't just want to know about God. He, he wasn't satisfied with just seeing the evidence of God's uh, activity. He wanted more. So at the, at the, after the Sinai experience, Moses asked God the famous questions. He, says, he said, if you are pleased with me, Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And then here's the uh, request. Please show me your glory, he asked God. And you have to admire Moses' boldness in, in asking that, his audacity, but also his, his desire to know God. And here's what, he, here's what he's asking. Is he God, I want to know you. I want to know your character. I want to know your nature. I want to, I want to enter into the, this, this deepest uh, intimacy with you that, that's, that's possible for one human being. And we have to keep in mind that Moses wasn't just asking for his own sake either. He also wanted to know that God would be present, not just with him, but with the people too, in the days ahead that they would be truly sanctified or set apart for God. So amazingly, God said yes to this request of Moses. He revealed Himself to Moses because God wants us to know that He's near. He he wants us to know that He's knowable. God said to Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you And I will proclaim My name, the Lord, in Your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, the Lord said, you cannot see My face, for no one may see Me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near Me where you may stand on a rock. When My glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft on the rock, and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. It's from Exodus 33. In other words, I will let you know me, God says. Isn't that a beautiful picture of, of God letting Moses know him, but also protecting him from his glory with his hand? back up a little in, in chapter 33 of Exodus. It says this about Moses's, Moses and God's relationship. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. I think that's just so cool. That Moses and God used to speak face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now this this doesn't just tell us something about Moses. It tells us it reveals something about God as well, that God wants to be known by us. And and He's made Himself knowable. He's He's not just some unapproachable you know, deity that's that's way out there in the in the galaxy. He isn't some healing energy that we we find in rocks or or in the forest or, or from the lake. That's not who God is. He's a personal God who is here. And and He's near us. And it's a God who who will reveal Himself to those who long to know Him. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 4, he said, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them? Of course, the answer is, is none. The way the Lord our God is near us. Whenever we pray to Him, I mean to ask to, ask to know God is, is a request that pleases Him. After all, that's, that's what we were made for. To know God. That's what He desires from us. That should be our chief aim in life, is to know God. Jeremiah chapter nine. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man gloat in his wisdom, or the mighty man in his might, or the rich man in his riches. Let them boast in this alone, that they truly know Me, and understand that I am the Lord who is just and righteous, whose love is unfailing, and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken." Knowing God is the best thing in our lives. In fact, knowing God is eternal life. As Jesus said in John 7, 17, this is eternal life, He says, that they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. So God has offered to let you and me know Him. I mean, really know Him. And it's, uh, it's probably Well, it is. It's the best offer we could ever get. So, as part of the uh, PCBC vision uh, for 2020, what if we were to take God up on this offer and get to know Him? And getting back to Hosea, when, when the prophet made this proposal, when he dreamed of what it could be like for Israel, when he said, Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. The sad part is that the prophet knew that it wasn't going to happen. The rest of the book of Hosea is is basically Israel's impending punishment for their rebellion, uh, God's loving discipline for their rebellion, but also God's promise of restoration someday. So, what I What I want to say to you this morning is that Hosea's dream could be a reality for us in the future. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. So just a a few points here. So I, I don't want us to miss something that's very important here as well. And some of us really need to hear this. And that's the encouragement that we can give to each other to seek the Lord. This verse begins, so let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. So two times we have this emphasis on us or let us. So it isn't just one person saying, I'm going to seek the Lord. It's a group of people who are encouraging each other by saying to each other, let us seek the Lord. So there's a a strength to be found in seeking the Lord uh, together and encouraging each other in godliness, and then, but what is our goal? you know how are we to use this mutual encouragement? Well, the verse tells us to let us press on to know the Lord that's the goal to know the Lord. the goal of the life again of every person God has created is to know him again, Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they may know You, the only true God. Paul said in Philippians 3, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And the Bible says repeatedly that this is the goal. This is what we were created for. To know God. God made us to know Him and and to walk with Him in fellowship. Think of Adam and Eve um, in the garden. Remember how they they walked with God in in the cool of the day, as it says, in perfect fellowship. But of course, they turned from God. They disobeyed God. They wanted something else. They, They committed adultery with their relationship with the Lord. Their sin separated them from God, and they were cast out from His presence. Uh, that they were made to uh, enjoy and be fulfilled by their relationship with Him. And of course, this is what every one of us has done since. We have all sinned and turned away from the Lord as as Romans says, and our sin keeps us from knowing God. And that sin will always be a barrier uh, between us and the Lord. But God still loves us. He still pursues us. And he, He came to earth of course, in the person of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, paid for our sins, that if we trust Jesus, we could be forgiven and that relationship be restored. But it's not just so that we could be forgiven. It's not just so that we could go to heaven when we die. It's, but, it's so that we could come back to Him and know Him, as it says. In this life, the desire of every one of us, when we get up in the morning, should be this: God, I want to know You more today. I want to know You more today. That's what we were made for. But how's how's this supposed to happen? You know, the truth is, knowing God doesn't just happen. It, it takes some effort, as we see in the, the last part of the verse that says, "Let us press on to know the Lord." Press, press on is a, a Hebrew word which means is from a Hebrew word which means to pursue, to chase what, what this means is that if, if you're going to reach your goal of knowing God it will require some effort you're going to have to press on, pursue, chase after. I know I know this for me and I'm sure it's true for you it takes effort to read the Bible it takes Effort to talk to the Lord through prayer. It takes effort to forsake sin, even. It takes effort to be deliberate and intentional about serving others with with love and humility. It takes effort to selflessly love our spouses and our children. It takes effort to love anybody, for that matter. It takes effort to want to know the Gospel so that we might share the Gospel with others so that they may know Christ as well. We have to pursue these things, but you would have to admit the effort is worth it. It's worth the effort. Over time, it doesn't become a chore. It becomes a joy. Knowing God makes us realize how much our God loves us how much He provides for us, protects us, how much He suffers and grieves along with us. And knowing God can't help but to improve marriages, give strength to overcome addictions, and motivate us to serve the community. Knowing God reveals to us how valued we are, that we matter, that our lives are important, that all lives are important. And knowing God makes us want to share our testimonies of the great salvation that that God has provided for us through Jesus Christ, His Son, so that others might be saved through Him as well. And knowing God reminds us that no matter how often and how much we mess up, we can always come back to Him seeking forgiveness, and He will receive us. He's always faithful to forgive when we seek forgiveness. And most of all, knowing God helps us to love Him more and and to obey Him out of that love and and enriching our own lives in the process and drawing us closer to Him. So let that that be our goal for today, for tomorrow, for the rest of our lives, to know God and to know Him fully. Amen? Amen.